don't you clap your hands and bless Jesus one more time. Hallelujah, mighty God, I love you, Jesus. I worship you, mighty God, hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor Ballestero, Sister Ballestero, in her absence. New Destiny Church family, we celebrate all that God has done here and the greater things that are yet to be done. Felt a very definitive witness in the Holy Ghost talking to your pastor, Kent, meeting about coming and being with you. I'm humbled and honored to fill his pulpit and thankful to see such a great crowd on a Wednesday night. What a wonderful work God is doing in your lives and in this congregation, and you're all part of it. You ought to clap your hands and just praise Jesus one more time. If you have your Bibles, if you'll grab it as you're standing, turn with us to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. Maybe a little teaching, preaching, prophetic, we'll just see what God does. I just want to pull one statement out of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. Many of you understand background to how Satan ended up as a prince of the power of the air. He was one of the chief angels in heaven, Lucifer. He was cast down. Ezekiel captures this. Isaiah captures it a little bit. He was cast down. And it says here in Ephesians 2 and 2 that he is a prince, Satan, is a prince of the power of the air, the atmosphere around us. He's not omnipresent. He is limited to time and space. God Almighty Jesus Christ is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, fills all time and space. He knows all things. He has absolute all power. Satan is not. But he does, though confined to space and time, he does feel this atmosphere around us. This terra firma. One third of the angels in heaven was cast down with Satan when he was cast down from heaven as lightning falling. The now fallen angels or demons, we deal with that day by day. I want to talk to you for just a little bit from this thought. Satanic devices, deception, fear, and Satan's voice. Satanic devices, deception, fear, and Satan's voice. If you're going to help me pray today and you're going to help me preach today, why don't you begin to pray right now? Lord Jesus, I thank you, mighty God, for your grace. I thank you, Lord God, for your absolute dominion. I thank you for the great wonders you have done in this congregation through the years. Right now, mighty God, I would pray that you would bind everything that is contrary to you and loose revelation and loose understanding in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. We humbly pray. Amen, amen, amen. Clap your hands one more time as you're seated. Can I get a little bit more monitors, please? Hallelujah. Pastor told me the flow of the Wednesday night services. I said, I'll be right at home tonight. Because our flow and our schedule is very much the same. The devil knows his time is short. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, when Jesus came to the two possessed with the devil, the devil said, Art thou come forth hither to torment us before our time? The devil is absolutely not all-knowing. But he does know what the word of God says. It has absolute authority. And he knows that his time is short. It goes on to say in Revelations 12 and 12, literally it says, and the devil knows he hath but a short time is what your Bible says. So he knows that. He understands that. And it seems as if everything is speeding up. The fulfillment of prophecy, the wonders of God, 
the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And where sin abounds, grace doeth much more abound. And, but in the midst of God doing wonderful things, and there's also, it seems like, and a greater intensity in the attacks of Satan against God's people, against the ministry, against the saints of God. And, and I don't think that's coincidence. And I think the devil understands and, that the eternal clock is ticking. And, and he understands and knows and, that he has but a short time and he realizes if he's going to get you and you and me and if he's going to keep them from coming he is going to have to ratchet up the intensity of the trials and the attacks against the people of God can I have an amen Satan has come to steal kill and destroy his mission statement. You realize that, right? He has come to still kill and destroy. Not with the mask on, stealing something out of the back of your vehicle. No. No. Still in your joy. Still in your peace. Still in your prayer life. Still in your consecration. Still in your dedication. Still in your vision, your purpose. Destroying your hope that it's going to get better. Wish I had some help in here. Destroying your hope that God is going to reconcile your marriage. I'm trying to kill I'm your aspirations that God is going to use you. I'm trying to kill your understanding I'm of the divine purpose and the plan of God for your life. I'm his mission statement according to the Bible I'm is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. The converse of that is the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He realizes, as God has given him, might I say, limited jurisdiction as a prince of the power of the air being cast down to this arena in an effort to fulfill the end of the book prophecy. He realizes that his time is short. He understands that the eternal clock is ticking. And from the beginning, he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But now it's such a short time, it's almost like there's a reckless abandon to what Satan's trying to do. Against the people of God, he's attacking and wearing out good people. I've observed over the last couple of years of my walk with God, people that were invigorated, the great passion for God. It's kind of subsided and dissipated. It's kind of faded a bit. Preachers, I remember listening to them preach with great power and great conviction. And now some, not all, some just kind of mark the time and go through the motion. Saints of God, they were so fervent praying the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man. So fervent in prayer, so consecrated in fasting. It seems as if they have been worn down and beaten down. And they have lost their passion and the desire. Daniel catches a glimpse of this. Speaking of the Antichrist, but you'll understand it. I paraphrase Daniel 7.25. Speaks of the person of the Antichrist that would come. He's not come yet, but the person of the Antichrist that would come. And it would say that he shall wear out. The saints of God. John did say, John the beloved did say in 1 John 4 and 3 that the spirit, somebody say the spirit of Antichrist is already here. So the person of the Antichrist is going to come. And he's going to try to wear out the saints of God. Brother Nate, it was wonderful to see you playing the drums. Wear out the saints of God. Almost like getting a boxer, if you will, on the, on the ropes and landing body blow and body blow. Maybe the first body blow doesn't get you to throw in the towel and give up. But it keeps coming. Not the person of the Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist. This secular anti-God spirit. It's attacking. It's unseen. But it is real. It is attacking. Body blow. Body blow. Body blow. 
and trying to wear out the saints of God. That statement, Daniel 7.25. Wear out the saints of God, it literally means he will weaken your mind to the point of fatigue and frustration to the place where you give up. You lose your passion. It's a battle. That's what you're facing right now, friend. And frankly speaking, that's what I'm facing. None of us in this flesh, in this world, are beyond it or immune to it. We can be victorious. We can be victorious through Christ. But we do face things. We do confront battles and difficulties. Thus, Paul says to us, it's a prophetic warning. Can you go with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul, certainly inspired by God to write. Paul senses, Paul knows as God inspires him to write this, that in the first century, yea, throughout God's church, it would be a battle that would take place. And that if the people of God did not understand some of the techniques and tactics, might I say the age-old weapons that Satan would try, try to use against the people of God, they would be ignorant to the attack and fall prey to the enemy. Thus Paul says, be not ignorant to the devil's devices. Least you're punished and you perish and you go down in a tragic demise. Play college football. I was saved playing college football. Every Monday we would spend two hours in the tape room. This is the mid-90s. We would spend two hours in the tape room studying the tape from the last game Saturday night. We'd spend another two hours in the tape room before we ever took the field on Monday evening. We would spend another two hours in the tape room watching the tape from our opponent. We're getting ready to play this coming Saturday night so that we wouldn't be ignorant to our enemy's devices. And the children of the world are wiser than the children of light. So I, I felt just prompted to deal with three different areas, devices that Satan would try to use against us. There's many, but let me just deal with three. First, deception. Do you, do you believe that you're grounded upon the word of God? Do you have an understanding that there's one God? Do you have an understanding. Have you experienced water and spirit birth? Have you made dedications to God in your life? If you're willing to be so bold and just put your hand up and say, I understand. I believe I have a hold of those things. Pastors taught us well. God bless you. So this is spirit of deception. You remember, Adam was given the charge in Genesis 2 and 15. Among other things, to dress and to keep the garden. This word keep in Genesis 2 and 15 to Adam, the first man. This word keep means to hedge, build, build a hedge around and protect what's there in the garden. He failed. Men, he failed. He didn't build the hedge. He didn't protect it. And you understand the serpent, Satan, comes into the picture. And it tells us that through the subtlety of the serpent, that Eve was deceived. Paul writes about that a bit later to Timothy, that Eve was the weaker vessel, no stone to throw women, but Eve was the weaker vessel, and she was deceived. And the first device of Satan's choosing, Genesis 3 verse 1, was through the subtlety of the serpent. She beguiled and she deceived Eve. And Eve began to fall prey to that. Adam is there in close proximity because Eve gives the fruit to him. He was not deceived, the Bible tells us, but Eve was deceived. Adam's failure was he failed to act. He failed to protect. And Eve was deceived. It's interesting to me that the first account in Satan dealing with mankind is a picture of Satan using Subtility, deception, as Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.14. Deception, how Satan uses deception to cause mankind to fall. Have you considered in 
what's called the Olivet Discourse. You study your Bible, you know. This is probably the most comprehensive passage in the Bible on end-time prophecy that Jesus, in the days of his flesh, gives. Paul writes wonderful things about end-time prophecy, First and Second Thessalonians. Daniel certainly captures it. Ezekiel captures some things. The book of Revelations is wonderful. But Jesus, first person, Luke 21, Matthew 24, in response to questions, I hasten. What is the signs of your coming going to be? What is it going to be like? Jesus would go on in Matthew 24 in this picture, this explanation. Somebody say the end time. The end time, Jesus would say, you, you know, wars and rumors of wars and men's hearts would fail them and pestilences and earthquakes and dive, all these types of things. But there's a redundancy as you begin to read through Matthew 24. As you begin to read through Luke 21, there is a common thread, a common theme that keeps coming up as Jesus, as Jesus warns all of us about the common sign of his coming. Hear it. Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus says, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5, Many shall come in my name and shall deceive many. Verse 11, Many false prophets shall arise and deceive. Somebody say deceive. Deceive many. Verse 24. Shall arise false prophets, false Christ, and shall show great signs and wonders if it be possible, and shall deceive the very elect. My point is, Jesus, when asked about the end times, amidst all the different things he lists, mentions this one time, this one, but then he keeps mentioning this common sign, deception. People being led away because of deception. People being led away because there's no absolutes anymore. Nothing sacred anymore. There's no absolute truth anymore. It's all relative, they say. It's all relative to the eye of the beholder. Jesus said more than anything else. In those passages, Jesus said the number one sign is that there will be much, much deception. And then... Paul, whoo, Paul is very strong in his 14 epistles to the New Testament church and believers, writing over half of the New Testament, half of the 27 books. Paul says multiple times, teaches multiple times about deception and how we need to be mindful that this device, deception, Satan will try to use it against good. Holy Ghost-filled believers, consider. Paul stresses three times, I quote, let no man deceive you. 1 Corinthians 3, 18, Ephesians 5, 6, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Paul declares three times, be not deceived. That's interesting. 2 Corinthians 6 and 9, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and Galatians 6 and 7. So he says, let no man deceive you. And then he says, don't be deceived. So he says you need to be watchful for two things. You need to be careful that somebody else doesn't lead you, don't lead you astray. You need to be careful that somebody else doesn't bring a strange doctrine to you. That in the last days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Remember it, the same guy, Paul. Remember uh, when he is given his final uh, words and benediction to the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. And he says that there uh, is some that's risen up among you that's crept in and, and begin to deceive and begin to lead astray. Uh, he gives a sharp warning uh, to the elders at the church in Ephesus, Acts 20, uh, verse 19, 20 or so. Um, and he tells them uh, to be a watchman, to be an overseer um, of the flock of God, which God has purchased um, with his own blood. Uh, because there's some men, uh, even in the first century, uh, with the great authority of the apostle Paul, uh, there's some false teachers huh, that were among us, huh, but now they're not. And they're going to try to mislead huh, and try to deceive huh, and try to beguile you. And he, he leans upon this that you need to be careful that 
men don't deceive you. But then secondly, he says, in all those verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 15, 33, Galatians 6 and 7, that you be not deceived. It comes a place you can't blame it on them. Save yourself from this untorn generation. Choose you whom you're going to serve. You need to have a hold of truth enough to come what may. I'm not moving. I trust the man of God. I trust the word of God. I'm, I am rooted and grounded. I'm, I am anchored in the things of God. I, I'm going to be like that tree planted by the river of living water. If I got to go through, I'm going through. If I got to go over, I'm going. I wish I can get some help. You need to make a commitment tonight that I'm not going to be deceived by people with nice voices and gifted oration and the intellect of man and the charismatic personality. But I am going to stand upon the word of God for heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word shall not pass. And the same word that he has spoken is going to judge you and I in the last day. It's one of those three books that's going to judge us in eternity. The Bible, Lamb's Book of Life records the names of those that are saved. And then your book that records the deeds or lack of. Those books will judge us in eternity. So, deception. And then, striking to me, it looks like I know zero about golfing. Pastor in Florida, I guess I need to learn. But I worked for Caterpillar for 21 years, and I've heard enough stories from the guys, the one that got away. But they would always go to the four iron. They would always go to the five iron. Their favorite club, didn't matter how many yards they were at, didn't matter they were pitching or putting, whatever, they, they got this favorite. Seemed like Satan's device that he likes to lean upon is deception. It's interesting to me. When you read the study, the end of the book, the book of Revelation, and we come now through Daniel's 70th week to seven years of tribulation, and, and then now Armageddon's over. And there's a millennial reign, a millennial kingdom, thousand years, and Satan's bound during that thousand years. But then your Bible teaches that when that thousand years is over, he's released for one final season at the end of that thousand-year millennial reign. Revelation chapter 20, verse 8. And guess what it says? This is his last encounter. Revelation 20 and 8. This is Satan's last encounter with mankind. This is it. It's over after this. And the first trick that he used against mankind. And Eve was deceived. Subtility. And the last trick that he will try after being in chains and shackles for a thousand years years he knows his time is short his season is short and the last trick that he will use is deception deception and then it finishes the end of Satan it's a glorious end for us not for him Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 and the devil that deceived them interesting how the Bible gives them that description at the end of what it says about Satan. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet are and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. And that's it. He's off the pages of the Bible. He disappears from eternity never to bother mankind again. But the last thing he does is Deceive. Deception. That thing that you know to be true, and then just somewhere, I don't know, out of the air, the tentacles of Satan, a thought comes to your mind. A spirit comes upon you. A sensation. I mean, the Holy Ghost here. A sensation and a feeling begins to settle over your mind. And though you're not speaking it just yet, you have begun to wrestle in your spirit 
with some long-standing truths in your life and you linger in that place and, and then you begin to look for collaboration of witnesses and to affirm the false ideology that has begun to poison your mind rather than going back to the Bible uh, and your covering in the man of God. Uh, you begin to look for false voices and there's many of them. Uh, it begins with Google. Uh, you begin to look for false voices to affirm to you. And deception, this device, it seems to be his favorite tool. It pulls somebody else away. From God, the second device I have felt very strongly prompted to deal with is fear. You felt that when I said fear? I couldn't buy an amen when I said fear. That's a witness to me. I'm not in the Holy Ghost. Somebody said fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing to be real. False evidence appearing real. Fear comes and tells us that when fear comes it has torment first john chapter 4 verse 18 and 19 there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear because fear had torment my god there's a cough my mother died from lung cancer i must have lung cancer my God, I saw the employer speaking to the co-worker, telling them we're going to cut hours a little bit. I'm just going to be laid off. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to be homeless. I'm, my Lord, God, what in the world's going And then all of a sudden, fear. It's a, it's a, and I feel this here. It's a little bit of a paralyzing fear that just begins to move, and it's almost like that creeping phenomenon. It's almost like when the sun begins to set and the darkness begins to ever so gradually creep up upon you, and, and before you know it, you can't really see it, but before you know it, the darkness begins to come, and then all of a sudden, uh, you're paralyzed. And you can't even hardly move because fear has bound you. And you're tormented and you want to testify and speak to that spirit of fear but it, it's almost so difficult you can't even open up your mouth I have felt here tonight in this pulpit a couple of you have dealt with confronted a very strong demonic spirit of fear in the night and it has tormented you in the night and you were so controlled and paralyzed by that tormenting spirit of fear that you couldn't even muster up enough faith to rebuke it. You knew cognitively what you're supposed to do, but you could not even muster up enough faith huh, to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Huh? Well, we bind together with you huh, where one could chase a thousand, huh, two could put ten thousand to flight. Huh? We take dominion huh, over that demonic satanic spirit huh, of fear. Huh? We bind it. Huh? We curse it. Huh? He cannot cross the bloodline. Huh? He cannot cross the name of Jesus, uh, and he cannot uh, afflict uh, a Holy Ghost-filled uh, believer. Clap your hands to Jesus. Fear comes as a device of Satan. Something will capture your mind's eye conversation you had will linger in your ear you hear the doctor say something to you it might be this it might be that we don't really know and all of a sudden in your mind the dominoes just begin to fall and and it's just make no mistake about it it's a spiritual battle second timothy chapter one verse seven for god hath not given us the spirit of fear but of love, power, of a sound mind. When you feel this constricting fear, this tormenting, paralyzing fear, that is absolutely not from God. That is from Satan. That is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. 
But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It is an absolute spiritual battle when you feel tormented, constricted, and paralyzed by words like, what if, shoulda, coulda, woulda. When you hear those words in your mind, when you hear those words, when God in your heart, you better be watchful. Because many times when you come to a place of wondering and questioning, where is God? Satan follows that up with the spirit of fear. What if God never does it? What if God never gives you the miracle? What if God never brings your husband to church and all of a sudden he has bound you so he can beat you and torment you but you need a purpose in your mind I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me Philippians 4.13 you realize when Paul writes that it's Acts chapter 29 when Paul writes that. I'm joking. He makes it to Rome in Acts chapter 28. And when he finally makes it to Rome, it's believed by scholars that Philippians is one of what's called the prison pastoral epistles. He writes it as he is in prison. And in that state, he declares, I can do all things through Christ. That strengthens me. As to say, when you are imprisoned by torment, when you feel the, the weight of the world sitting down upon you, when you feel the spirit of Antichrist I'm trying to wean away huh, and wear out your faith in God huh, and your hope in God, huh, you need to remember that when Paul was in prison, huh, he rose up huh, and he said, I can do all things through Christ. Huh, and God is no respecter of persons. Huh, Acts 10, 34. Huh, and what he done for him, huh, he can do for you, friend. Huh, you can rise. Clap your hands to the Lord here now. Paul writes here, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Can you, can you see the converse of this? You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. In your mind, can you see the two different scenes? You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But what you have received, the one spirit that Paul writes about in Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6, the Holy Ghost, that one spirit of God. And when you got that one spirit, you were engrafted into the family of God. This, this description, Abba, Father, it's one of the most endearing statements that in the Hebrew culture a son could say to his father. It's one of the highest levels of regard and love between a biological son and his biological father in the Hebrew culture. That's what Paul is saying. You do not, maybe before you used to lay in your bed and you were tormented by the spirit of fear. Maybe before you used to worry about this, you used to have to sit with your back up against the wall and scope out the restaurant when somebody walked in. You couldn't hardly sleep with both eyes closed. You had to have one open. That's who you used to be. That's when you were born unto the fleshly kingdom, when you answered the throne of unrighteousness and iniquity. But when you got the Holy Ghost and you were filled with that one spirit of God, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, you're no longer born of the flesh, but you're now born of the spirit. You no longer answer to the throne of iniquity, but now you answer to the throne of righteousness and the spirit of God and you cry Abba Father clap your hands to the Lord
The second device, fear. It constricts, it binds, it torments us. It goes home with us. But deceived in a moment of time, you're misled and then you go down that path. But fear's a little bit different. You take it home with you. It's always there. It's like the proverbial voice in your ear. When is a shoe going to fall? When is the bad news going to come? Is it going to be in the mailbox today? Am I going to come home today to a dear John letter? Fear hath torment. But it says in Hebrews 13 and 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Think in studying the scriptures, it's not just important what it says, obviously, clearly, that's number one. But I also think it's important in how it says it. Sequence and how things appear in the Bible and all of that. There's too many lists in the Bible for sequence not to be important. I don't make too big a deal out of it, but I do think the order or the sequence. Can you imagine if Revelation would have been the first book and Genesis would have been the last book? Can you work with the preacher a little bit here? Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 13 and, and verse 6. It says, so that we may boldly say that the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The revelation walking in the abiding truth that I will not fear what man will do to me. That follows the declaration and the revelation that the Lord is my helper. If you are struggling with what man will do, what the mortgage company is going to do, what the boss man's going to do, if you are afraid of what man may do in your life, your problem is really not with men. It's with your faith and your confidence in God. You need to focus upon the Lord is my helper. When that truth gets anchored in your life, you won't be moved by the words of men. You won't be concerned by what men will do. Clap your hands to the Lord. The third device is Satan's voice. It's that mocking, lying, intimidating voice that I face from time to time. That reminds me ever so quickly of my failures, of my shortcomings, of my frailties, of my mistakes and my stumbles. Rather than allowing my mind to focus upon all the wonderful things that the grace of God has accomplished in my life and for my family and for the church I'm humbled to serve that voice that satanic voice the mocker the liar the accuser these are all biblical statements the accuser of the brethren he comes to me and he begins to try to impregnate my mind and my consecration with doubt and with discouragement and with frustration. You understand when you study about Satan in the Bible, I don't think he has an original thought. I really don't. I think, I think he counterfeits. He tries to mirror what God does. And can you help me here? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by. So think he understands that there's great authority in the word of God. He understands that. That's why he tried to had that little conversation with Eve about manipulating and all of that. He understands that there's great power in the word of God. Remember the 40 days in the wilderness when Jesus was fasting in the days of his flesh? And in the days of his flesh, he was fasting, Hebrews 5 and 7. And Satan came to him to tempt him three times. And as he tempted him, what did Jesus say? It is written, it is written, it is said. So Satan understands the authority of the word of God. He understands faith comes when the word of God is spoken. Why do you think the devil tries to get in your mind and in your emotions when the word of God is being preached? 
Why do you think your family sends you a text and sends you an email when the man of God's preaching to you? Why do you think your mind's on lunch? Why do you think your mind's on what you got to do? Why do you think your mind's on the clothes and the dishes and daycare and work tomorrow when the word of God's going forward? Huh? Because the enemy knows that if you can hear the word of God, huh, it will impregnate you with faith. Huh? Faith will be transferred into your life. Huh? It will be imparted into your life. Huh? So he will do everything he can huh, to keep you from not connecting to what the prophetic word huh, is saying to you and then he will through his own voice instead of speaking into your life and giving you faith he will speak into your life and he will bring doubt and he will bring question and he will bring anxiety and he will bring fear you need to rise up and say devil get thee behind me you have nothing in me I am not going to give you my ear clap your hands to Jesus so this third device Satan's voice John 8 44 ye are of your father the devil so says Jesus I'll paraphrase when he speaketh a lie he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. It's interesting to me that Jesus felt it was significant and important enough to include, it in, to include it into the holy canon of the word of God to talk about how Satan speaks and what he says when he speaks. You see somebody walk away from God there was a seed way back when that was spoken into their life that was not dealt with. They could have easily overcame that. They could have acknowledged that, repented of that sin, purged me, O Lord, Psalms 51. They could have easily overcame that, got together with some saints of God, but they allowed that seed to stay in their spirit, the root of that thing to stay in their spirit. And then Satan just continued to speak to them and speak to them, and by and by, when you open up your human spirit and your mind to the voice of Satan. If you do not repent, if you do not deal with that, if you do not confront that and ask God to purge that out of your life, it will by and by manifest in your members. Make no mistake about it. David's problems did not start when he stepped out on the balcony and he saw Bathsheba. Make no mistake about it. There was something along the way that he didn't deal with in his spirit. There was lust. When lust conceived, it bring it forth sin. When sin conceived, it bring it forth death. There was some lust that came in, and Bathsheba just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that was the moment that he seized her, and he committed sin, adultery, later murder, killed Uriah. So if you listen to that voice, you better immediately rebuke it. Cast down every thought that tries to exalt itself, every imagination it tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. You better immediately arrest that. Turn the channel in your mind and set your mind back on heavenly affections. If you don't, if you continue to linger in that place and listen to that satanic voice, it is going to pull you back seven times worse from what you came from. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord? Let's go back here to Luke chapter 4 when Satan comes speaking of the voice Luke chapter 4 verse 1 to 10 when Satan comes to the Christ fasting for those 40 days it's interesting the focus of Satan as he speaks to Christ if thou be the son of God he chose to focus upon trying to make Christ in the weakness of his flesh and his humanity during the 40 days of fast he focused Satan focused on using his voice to try to bring Christ to a place in his flesh where he would question who he was you better watch that demonic voice that's telling you God has not called you to do that I tell you affirmatively in the Holy Ghost God has called you to do exactly what you're doing 
Now, if you have walked away from a ministry, Pastor, can I have some liberty here? If you have walked away from a ministry within the last three months in this church, I know nothing about this church. If you have walked away from a ministry within the last three months in this church, uh, I can tell you it's not the plan of God. Uh, the devil's trying to draw a wedge between you and the purpose and the vision of God in this church. Uh, the safest place you can be is to be engaged uh, with your hands on the plow, your face set towards heaven like a flint uh, going forward. Uh, forgetting those things which are behind me I will press towards the prize of the high calling which is in Christ you need to put your hands back on the plow and get to work for God least you be sifted as wheat so Satan comes and he tries to make the Christ in his flesh, if thou be the Son of God. Man, when I hear that spirit come to me, whoo, I crank it out by the grace of God. I go on a good, strong three, five-day fast. I'm not boasting. A juice fast, and I'll spend some extra time in prayer. If I need to call an elder in my life and get them to pray over me, me and my wife are bind together, of course. I get intense immediately. That's fighting words right there. When he tries to make me question my identity and who I am in God. Let me just finish here as I kind of turn the corner. Let me just maybe offer you some solutions. Again, there's many solutions in the word of God. Your pastor teaches you about many aids and weapons and tools that we could use to win these battles. It is a plan of God that we're more than overcomers. We're conquerors. We're the people of God, ambassadors of Christ, royal priesthood, chosen generation. That's the plan of God. But let me just give you just a couple thoughts about solutions that you can use in your life. James chapter 4, verse 7. If you missed this, you've missed the lesson. James chapter 4 and verse 7. You cannot overcome Satan. Please hear me now. I'll just make it simple. One plus one equals victory. You cannot overcome Satan without being submitted. Under covering, under God, under pastoral spiritual covering. You cannot, it's impossible, it's not biblical. You cannot be victorious without being submitted. Biblical reference, James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. That's a chief shepherd. He's also put in the church under shepherds. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. Again, sequence. I think it's critically important that we first submit to God. We're getting so focused on fighting the devil and rebuking the devil and cursing the devil and taking oil and everything else. My God, sometimes the victory comes to you just simply by submitting. Pastor, I'm here to hold up your hands. Not my will, but thy will be done. You talk about safety and protection. Come under spiritual authority and God will bless you. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment running down the beard of Aaron. It always comes down from the top. And then it goes down to the body. You stay under leadership and covering in God's church. You stay under the angel that God has put in the church. You stay under the elder. Read the book of Acts. Every New Testament church had an elder that was over them. You stay under that covering, stay under God in submission, and that by itself wins a lot of victories. Why don't you clap your hands? Struck a nerve right there, didn't we? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee. It's not, it's not might. It's not maybe, possibly. This is, this is a legal statement, okay? James, you remember? Acts 15. Seems to me that James may even, I guess, 
outrank Peter and Paul in the New Testament. He's the elder over the council in Acts 15. When Peter comes to speak and Paul comes to speak, he seems to wield that elder authority. Remember when Paul comes back from his second, third missionary journeys, who does he check in with? He checks in with James. So James is at least a peer, I guess, to Peter and Paul. Maybe he's above them. And he feels inspired by God. And he gives us this, this truth. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He shall flee from you. It's an absolute truth. He'll flee. If you stay under submission and you continually resist the enemy, don't give place to the devil. Don't let your mind go somewhere it doesn't need to go. Be careful where your feet go, the little nursery rhyme. Be careful, little hands. What you Be careful. If you stay submitted to God and resist the devil, it is an absolute biblical truth. He will flee. Can I have an amen? amen. Something else that just, just came on me here. Um, if there's any area in your life that God has come to you and talked to you about, you need to give this thing up, you need to let this go, you need to change, fill in the blank. If he's talked to you in prayer, the we still small voice of the Holy Ghost, pastoral direction, prophet, whatever, the word of God, the Bible, and you have resisted to submit to what God has told you, you have put yourself in harm's way. You have put yourself in harm's way because you're not fulfilling the first part of James 4 and 7. You're unsubmitted. And that one area, that one area that you have failed to submit, it may be a back door in your life where Satan comes in. Pastor Dagan, do you have Bible for that? Okay. Remember the rich young ruler? I've done all these things. I've honored my mother and father. I've obeyed all your commandments. Somebody say one. But this one thing, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, come and follow me. This one thing. And, and guess what that one thing done between him and Jesus? It severed him from Jesus. He walks away very sorrowful, the scripture says. Very sorrowful, walks away from Jesus because it may be one thing today, friend, but that one thing is going to grow to something else. The little foxes spoil the vine, the little leaven leavened the lump. That one thing is going to grow to something else. I would encourage you and admonish you as kindly as I can. If God has talked to you about that thing and you have failed to submit that to God, you need to deny in this altar, not my will, God, but thy will be done. And take whatever steps after this service with your pastor, with the leadership in your life, to make sure that stays under submission. Because if it's not submitted, it's a back door. And that's the reason you feel the ball and chain in the Holy Ghost. That's the reason why you, when you try to worship, you really can't get into the presence of God like you used to. Because you have come to something that God has challenged you on. And it's going against your carnal, fleshly, human spirit. And you don't want to give that thing. And you have essentially made that thing greater than God in your life. And it has cracked open a door in your spirit to satanic devices. Hallelujah. I wonder if our musicians can come. I want to quickly, I want to quickly go through Ephesians 6. I think it'll be another point that may encourage you and help you to go forward. This is Ephesians 6, verse 10 on down. It's a picture of this battle that we all face. We can maybe play very softly. Thank you. Ephesians 6 is a picture of this battle, this satanic battle that we face against these devices of deception and fear and the voice of the enemy. This is a great picture. If it was one nice condensed passage, this is a picture of that battle. And Paul is writing to this great church in Ephesus. It's believed to be one of the largest cities in the first century. Timothy, Paul's young understudy, would lead this church later. He would be the bishop of this church in Ephesus. You remember in Ephesus, there was one of the cities there that 
They had the temple of Diana, this false pagan god. Great wickedness outside, kind of like this city, kind of like my city. Great wickedness outside, and Paul offers them this firm, convicting picture of spiritual battle and, yea, spiritual victory. Can you go with me? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not you. It's not on me. It's not in my talents. It's not in your gifting. What we do, the battles that we win, the victories in the kingdom of God that we realize, we realize them because of the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole arm of God. You're familiar with the passage. I hasten. Put on the whole arm of God. That See the word picture, can you? See the word picture. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know why Jesus uses parables, these little short stories that are not literally a account, action by action story, but more rather it's a story that communicates an eternal truth. You know why Jesus uses them to paint a picture? To use common things like farming and like fishing, things of that sort, so people can understand it. Paul, inspired by God, is a master of that. And he's trying to paint a picture. You're in the fight of your life. This is the worst fight that you will ever have to win. And make no mistake about it, you can win it. But you're in a spiritual fight for your soul, friend. It's a lot deeper than you coming to this great church. I pray you come into the rapture. But it's a lot deeper than that. Satan is in it to destroy you and your family. And to keep you from doing everything that God wants you to do. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Catch it. And having done all to stand. Somebody say stand. Stand therefore. I was a boxer when I was in middle school and high school before I went to college. And I was the first thing I was taught, get up. It's really profound. Wasn't that awesome? Get up! Paul would say, his final words to Timothy, Timothy, do your diligence and come to me before winter. Paul would say, I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. Sometimes, friend, your spiritual victory in your family, in your life, is realized simply because you refuse to stay down. You keep standing. After you've done all to stand, this is your spiritual word for the night. Keep standing. Keep standing. Once you have exhausted your strength, um, once you have exhausted your faith, um, once you have exhausted your courage, uh, keep standing. Why don't you stand and clap your hands unto the Lord? Verse 16, Ephesians 6, above all. We're so quick to go to the sword of the Spirit. It's critically important. We've already talked about that. But before he gets to the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, he says in verse 16, and he puts emphasis on it. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That's Satan. That's that lie. That's when that voice comes to you, that little lying, nagging, tormenting voice. I'm ashamed to admit in this pulpit, I hear it also. But when that voice comes to you, friend, you got to take up the shield of faith and overcome and resist every lie with faith. And then take out 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hallelujah. So, Peter gives us his final admonishment. I'm done. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober. It's just a frustrating confusion in the mind of some of you sweet people. Because you have been worn down mentally by the lies of Satan. You are literally just groping in the darkness, just, just struggling to hold on. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, he's as a roaring lion. And he wants to devour you. He wants to kill you. But Jesus has come that we may have life, have it more abundantly. I want to kind of lay this altar call out if we can. And it's going to kind of be awkward for a moment. The water's troubled. You're going to have to be willing to step out and get in the troubled water. Can you be ever so bold tonight to say, I have had some struggles with deception in my life over the last few months. If that's you, come over here to this side of this altar. I'm not going to hold the altar service. If you have struggled with fear over the last few months, I want you to come right here in front of this pulpit. I want you to put it on the record. Peter denied Jesus three times publicly. He had to affirm his love for Jesus three times publicly. Satan has tried to humiliate you publicly. You need to right now go on the eternal record in this safe place. Nobody here is going to judge you. You need to go on the eternal record and say, I have struggled with deception. I have struggled with fear. And I have struggled listening to the voice of Satan. I'm not proud of it. Daniel Dagan is not proud of it. But there's been times along the way I have given an ear to the lying voice of Satan. Rest of you, can you follow in? Maybe in the back, if that's okay. Prayer warriors, can we come together for the saints of God? I want to begin to pray right now. If you need to repent for something, you repent. That's between you and God. But I want to begin to pray right now. God wants to restore some destiny to some of you good saints of God. Uh, there's a call of God upon some of you. Uh, and the devil's just about talked you out of that. Uh, the enemy of your soul uh, has just about made you content uh, being less than what God's called you to be. Uh, God has a purpose for your life. Uh, you need to right now uh, reaffirm that. Uh, you don't have to have all the answers. Uh, you just got to be able to tell God, uh, yes, God, to your will. Uh, yes, God, to your way. That's it. Begin to pray all over this house. I'm, Lord God, I pray, God, let the scales uh, of deception uh, fall off of the eyes of your people. Uh, Father, this demonic spirit uh, that's trying to make some uh, question uh, if they even have the Holy Ghost. Uh, it's trying to make some question uh, the importance of dedications. Uh, it's trying to make some question uh, the one God truth. Uh, God, let the scales uh, of that deception fall off their eyes. God, I take dominion. That's it. That's it. Some of you young ladies are living in fear. Worried about somebody doing something to you. I rebuke that demonic spirit right now. I pray, God, that you would protect them. Let the peace of God settle down upon them. Let them know that the angel of the Lord encamp around about those that fear the Lord. I pray, God, when the enemy comes in like a flood, raise up the standard, oh God. Raise up up the standard, oh God. That's it. Release the Holy Ghost. Um, why don't you build up your most holy faith? I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. Lord Jesus, thy word says, I'm 
that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and they won't follow another. I pray God silence the voice of the lion devil in the lives of your people and give all of us a greater yearning to hear the voice of the shepherd. Give us a greater desire to follow the voice of the shepherd. Friend, your heavenly shepherd and your pastoral shepherd, they know you by name. They know your strengths. They know your weaknesses. They're not here trying to hold you back. They want to help you. Turn away the lying voice of the devil. shine in the 